thinking about white people, specifically straight white people. Like you, you always have to be like, all right, you're making something, you know, um, you gotta you gotta have some white people in it, or you gotta do <laughs> represent. And I even think that with certain shows, it's we're explaining this so white people get it, right? <laughs> we're explaining blackness for white people. Keeping it 100 because that's what black people say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I was, I think that now that you have, really, I, I really think it's because of social media, you have the potential for the audience to say, no, this is, this, this is who we are and this is what we like. And because of that, you can talk directly to specific groups. And that's what I'm really interested in. And, you know, talking to not even people who see the world like me, but people who have maybe similar sensibilities when it comes to discourse and when it comes to like, you know, like looking at things from a, from a specific satirical, social, political point of view. And, you know, and, and, and delivering that in a, in a, a package that is a black man, because that's who I am. And so then I'm talking to black people. And if you want to get down, you can get down. You know, you want if you want if you want to watch it. I'm not I'm not saying it's exclusive, but that's who I'm talking to. So I have references in there that you know people from my barbershop back in Detroit would be like, oh yeah, 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 I know what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, it really came actually from a place of frustration. Um, in a span of a week, went to a lot of auditions, prepared the sides, you know, did everything I was supposed to do, and the casting directors and the directors would always say, okay, so um, we know we didn't ask you to prepare this, but do, could you freestyle for us? So the first scene in the, in the show is from a very real place. Um, and you know, the rap that I do to the beat of Fresh Prince of Bel Air is kind of what I throw out. And so, and so it comes from a place of, so I have to have Shakespeare, comedy, drama, contemporary, and now because I'm black, I have to have a freestyle uh, rap in my back pocket. Thanks, Amazon. That was before the public even started yeah. previews. And so, you know, I was hanging out with a friend at Columbus Circle one night, and I looked up and I saw this billboard for, uh, I don't even remember what brand of champagne it was, but I was like, Champagne, hey, Shama, you're really interested in rapping. Yeah. And from there, like, it just became a running joke between us. And then I said, you know what? Damn it, I'm going to write this. Like, this this is something. There's something here. And that's really where it came from, was billboard and frustration of, so I'm black, so I have to rap. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I, yeah, I really, from what all of you are saying, it's like, obviously, you're writing from a place of your truth, which, to an outsider's perspective, is different, or it's, uh, edgy or something else, so like that's just my day to day. So these are things that we've all that you've all experienced that you're using to inform your art. So did you think and I know a lot of um people who aren't minorities, like easy for instance just a straight white man, wherever they write from is a universal truth essentially. Did you ever think that what you were putting out and creating would alienate the audience anyway? And you sort of talked about like how you have to add that white person, but you're like, I'm going to kind of keep it what I say, keep it how I, you know, live my life, but you still need to create a sweet spot for those who might feel uncomfortable engaging with different art. Was there anything that, in your creative process, aside from that, that sort of informed how you went on? Yeah, I have, a, I have when it comes to that, I have a bit of like Icarus in Yeah. And I want, I want to go towards the sun. Like, yeah. I, I, want, I want to see how far I can I can push it and I have a theory that again because of today that it's a it's a it's a different era right so everyone knows that Colin Kaepernick is uh, you know uh, engaged right now yeah. in that protest right what people may not know is that his jersey was the number one selling jersey in the in the NFL mm -hmm. right Be, because of this phenomenon that you know that social media brings is the market can really, the audience can really dictate, as opposed to like gatekeepers saying, no, people won't buy his jersey. They could, they, they can be these movements behind things. And so 
my bet is that, and I already think so. I think you, you see all these celebrities now who, if they don't call stuff out, then that's actually a little bit more detrimental to them. Like Cam Newton is is ruining his career right now because he keeps on trying to like just kind of play in, in the middle. So I actually think my nature is to kind of try to be as I don't want to say you want to push the buttons to, to make yeah, it like, Why are we talking about this? It's, it's, yeah. no, it's like there's an elephant right fucking there. Like, yeah. why, why are we talking about that elephant that's obviously in, in, in the room? But I was listening there is a large yeah. <laughs> yeah. standing in the room. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's, it's there. So, um, yeah, yeah and, and, and but I, I do have a bet that and now that that's actually what audiences. Want. At least there's, there's there's an audience that wants that, and they, you know that audience is is prevalent. It's interesting um, to fuse a couple of thoughts together. Just like Melissa was saying, one uh, one time I went to an audition for a French speaking character named Pierre, for one of the biggest casting directors, who I will not name their name, uh, in the city, and. They came in and, uh, or I came in for them, and they were like, oh, you can probably tell you didn't look like the other people in the room out there. We wanted you to come in and do this with a Mexican accent. Could you do that for us? Now, while I do have Mexican ethnicity within my bloodstream, I certainly have never attempted to, like, as like a rule of thumb, ever learned that for the specific express purpose of not being able to do that for anyone. And when I stood my ground and said no, I was summarily asked to leave the room. And I found that wildly offensive for many reasons, but it was one of the things that made me want to write and that pushed me, and that happened two plus years ago before I wrote my first web series. And for that purpose, um, that is what drove me, was that idea of um, being ostracized simply because of the way I look, the way I talk, who I am whatever you can read about me in social media, right? Because I'm unapologetically queer, genderqueer, and person of color. I really don't give two fucks. Um, but the thing about it is that I also acknowledge <laughs> there's this other line that maybe we can talk about at some point, and if my brain was working faster, I would probably be able to talk about it in a more clear way, of uh, the fact that I am a passing mm-hmm. white-skinned person as well. I can walk into a space and people can think I'm a straight white male. And that gives me an added um, level of context, which means that also when you watch my web series, you might not think I'm trying to be subversive. But for me, living my truth, being a person of color, being queer, being genderqueer, is a political act in this day and age, no matter what room you walk into. Just walking outside and not stay home and be like, oh, everything's so bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you could like stop looking at the horrible things happening on your computer and like go to the world, like you should pat yourself on the back. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, maybe not all the time. Um, just one pat a day. Um, so yeah, I think um, even though I'm sure having seen my web series, you're probably like, oh, kind of push the boundary any which way. But um, for me, that is political to be like saying stuff about like creature comforts, normative lifestyle, because it's also something I don't know, and I I don't have like long-standing relationship. I'm not getting married, I'm not trying to put a kid in school, but it's what I chose to wrote about because it interests yeah. me to watch people I know who are not white, normal, default bullshit going through that. Got it. For me, I did not care. Um, I actually, that was one of the things that I just wanted to do away with completely. Um, from my cast to my crew, I have all people of color. There's not one white person associated with it. Um, because they have that space. They, they have access to that, to whatever network they want just yeah. because of who they look like. And, you know, even when I was looking around for, for DP, for directors of photography, I ended up going to with my freshman year dorm roommate who had actually like, tra- I remember she transferred to Emilia Tish junior year. And you know, like, it, I just feel that, that's why I applaud Donald Glover so much with Atlanta and that he fought for and he won and succeeded in having an all black writer's room talking about a black experience. And I just think that 
it's been way too long that people who don't know the narrative or actually have a direct link to the narrative have been telling our stories for so long and have been required to be in those rooms. And for me, it was all about pushing those boundaries, not giving 100% a damn about it, and you know, going for the woman, going for the Asian American female to be my team, going for the black director, going for a cast that looks beautiful. And I have friends who are like, hey, it's great they're all black. Can you get can you get somebody who looks like me? Because you know, I'm Chinese American, I'm your best friend. You can get someone like that in the space next time. I was like, yeah, of course. Like, but I have to start here because having all black casts living the life that we're living in this show is not seen very often. Right. And so for me, it really is a, in order to change narrative, I have to create a new narrative and get out of that goddamn box that everybody keeps putting us in because it's so destructive and it's leading, I mean, you think about it, to where we are right now, politics, the world, blah, 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 all these boxes and boundaries, and I just want to get rid of them. I think it's kind of like Ruth Bader Ginsburg talking about the Supreme Court saying we need, when will it be? What we will reach equilibrium with female to male justices. Just yeah. that we need nine. We like to have to have nine female justices, otherwise it's like going nowhere. And I think that's so important when you're talking about creating a space that is unapologetically all black or all people of color, whatever is important to you in that moment. And I just remember watching like he was like a Hollywood reporter round table where Lee Daniels is like asking people specifically how many people of color in your room, how many people in yours, how many people in yours. And not getting too close because honestly, it is sad. So important. then, for I know Melissa spoke about it, but me too. How diverse is your crew and totally. the writers here? You know. Um, yeah, I'm the sole writer, uh, and I, in terms of this project specifically, um, in terms of actors, we have one white mm-hmm. cis female character, and the rest of them are queer people of color. Cool. And um, my DP is a straight white male, but he was very pretty. So he hey, white men need jobs too. White men need things to do as well. Let's put their hard behind the work. Exactly. So I guess this is reparations. Yeah. Who knows? I don't But and then one of my good friends, um, in terms of yeah, I mean the guy who wrote the music at the beginning is not white. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, it was it was truly like a multicultural group of people and gender and sexuality diversity were also included so I feel good about what happened in that respect mm-hmm. but you know what about your team my team squad you know what I, I I don't think about it in terms that much uh, and only in one way I think about it in, 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 when it comes to gender because I understand the the privilege I have, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you know, I understand that, like, you know, I grew up, I, I'm borrowing this, but like, you know, from somebody else who said that, like, I'm, I'm covering misogynist, mm-hmm. because, you know, you grow up in a culture, you know, that, you know, that's the same thing for, like, the homophobia, too, you know, you, you, you grow up in this culture, and you learn things, and you have to, like, unlearn these things, uh, so it's, it was very important for me, I think, um, it's, I'm, I'm, I essentially write everything, but, you know, my editors, my producers, they're all, they're all women. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, I also just think that like, I have this saying, like, if, <laughs> if you want something done right, get a woman. If you want something done really right, get a black woman. Because <laughs> I, mean, I, I always just had such, I always had such reverence and, and, and so much respect for her. And she was a woman I have in my life, like, you know, my, you know, my, 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 my girlfriend. And, I I know that they will do they will they will get the things done and I know that they will be on me in a way yeah. that I that I need and I and that I know that somehow goes into like the history of the relationship between black men and black women and I don't want to like you know perpetuate this thing that like you know I'm standing on their shoulders you know mm-hmm. uh, but they do I mean they they they, they lift me up and to answer your question that was important to me but to make sure right. that I have voices in there that kind of counteract my privilege. Yeah, well, this is the first thing I was like, that's in a multitude of ways, which we need to encompass it all in everything you do. So those are, like, it's amazing to see that you all have made the actual choice. And it sort of goes to show how you surround yourself with 
with people who work in your similar fields. Like if you, it's one thing to write words that you know engage queer bodies or black bodies, black people, and then have the rest of crap. But before I open up to questions, are there any like stories and set that you want to share with us that sort of represent how you see your project or how that showcase the best of what you do? <laughs> Or maybe happiest or proudest of your work. So uh, we did a there's a sketch that you can watch called the Fallout, and it's uh, uh, you see it here. Okay, so it's a it's a um, take on police brutality, and you know we're doing a whole thing the real style because trying to get any type of permits in New York City, you know, just got to charge it up the Wazoo. So you know, I don't have too much of my so so uh, we just did uh, we just did it um, guerrilla style, and because we were doing this thing where you know we, we had somebody dressed as a police officer, and you actually can't do that, you know we uh, you know we were doing things where people were falling out, um, and we, so we had to just go ahead and just get the stuff. And that man over there is uh, my best friend, David Jacobs. Um, I, I talked to him. And I said, okay, you're, you're going to be, uh, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, our, my white proxy. So yeah. if the police ever comes, you talk to them. <laughs> and sure enough, we did this one time, and then the police walked by and they were looking. And he was like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And they just like imagine, they just kind of just walked on by. <laughs> but, but that, but that there, that there is the spirit of everything I do. It's, it's ridiculous, but it also is. It's like representative. And it also is showing you at least one white person yes. on your staff at all times. That is right. You get, you get yeah. that white man in the DP. Yeah. And you need somebody to be with face, right? Well, but to, to speak to that, also girl style filmmaking, I expressly chose to only shoot outside, knowing that in New York you can shoot on the streets without a permit. Um, so that like deeply went into the fabric of how, how we were shooting, what we were shooting, why we were shooting, where we were shooting. Um, and uh, I think what, something that speaks to like the spirit of the project was uh, my other lead, KJ Adams, who's a fantastic actor and friend. Um, uh, I, he and I worked together in a restaurant, which I'll remain nameless, but David Jacobs, funnily enough, also. <laughs> wow! There's a lot of strange connections in this room. Um, uh, but uh, that said, he closed down the bar up till 7 in the morning, 7, because he like cleaning and doing that yeah. stuff, and came directly to set, and we had a full day of shooting. Wow. We shot the whole series in one day. And so the fact that he <laughs> How are you not so tired from that? Oh uh, right, right. No, and the fact that he knew his lines, was there, prepared, sleepy, taking naps on park benches, waking up to do his scenes, and just kind of going for it and hitting it out of the park just kind of speaks to the whole aspect of like, okay, we're moving here, we're moving there, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And just sort of like I feel like people who have to work harder than other people because he couldn't give up a shift just to be in my thing, you know? Even though I pay him, I, like, he's still me yeah. the buddy, you know what I mean? So I think that speaks to sort of like that camaraderie of um, helping each other out, mm -hmm. which I think is what is important to me about creating the first content is about creating opportunities for other people with whatever leverage I have. But, Let's see, I guess the, the one scene would be, um, it's the top scene in episode 5, where we're outside by um, the Hudson River. It was so cold. Oh my god, it was it was the first week in November, and that was that week where we got like um, polar vortex early. And we were shooting early, and we were out of water, so it was windy, but you know what, we like, we went to Fairway, we got pie, we um, <laughs> I had like juicy juice on set, you know, like we had to pause every 10 minutes because the batteries froze and she got to change the, the batteries in the mic pack, it was that cold. But you know, I rapped, I did the thing, we we laughed, we and then we crashed at my apartment and we took a nap and then we finished the rest of the of that day. But I think that really spoke to it is because, you know, um, I have folks coming from Bushwick and um 
bedside on a Saturday, so you've got train issues yeah. always on weekends. But people would come. I was unable to pay them. They came because they wanted to. Um, and it's, I, I don't know, I'm sure you guys can speak to this too. Um, it's just, I was always overwhelmed and humbled by the fact that I wrote something, but people were so motivated and, and, and just all in yeah. by something that I wrote because I was like, I don't have a reel and I'm sick and tired of doing this. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, what is, what is this thing that I've made? And the, the road that this, that this has been going on has been really interesting um, for me and enlightening in a lot of ways. And I think that that really, the, the spirit of my crew, Pierce and Jamie, I love you, um, really speaks to that because, you know, they, they do commercials, they do music videos, they work with Spike, and they were like, I can work this weekend, let's do it. You know, so it's just like that. I'm all in. It's crazy. It's, it's humbling. It's so humbling. I'm just like, but it's just me. Yeah. That's amazing. You, well, does anyone have any questions? These lovely people? Yes. Okay, so as like a white creator, who wants to be aware and mindful and like invoke diversity into my work. Like what would be any sort of suggestion on how to like just not fall into the pitfalls of being like a white person making something? Well, I think first of all, there's the fact that you're asking that question is very important and I commend you on that. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not dictating that everybody has to have somebody of something. But um, think of think of the roles on set that aren't the PA to give someone yeah. a chance, you know, because we go to school too, and we want to do stuff, but no one's giving us that opportunity, and we will work. I I, I can speak for myself um, is that I know people who would do it for free at least once, just to get that experience and not be like, oh, I was a PA. I was actually the assistant. I was the first AD, you know. So I would say, don't don't pigeonhole it into crap and gold or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, along those lines, what I would say is that it's going to be a little, a little tricky. Um, but I, you know, bear with me, hang with me until I tell you to the end. Um, I I think the most important thing. I don't really I really do believe this when it comes to like a writer is to speak from your truth. Like, I just had a conversation, I was talking to my friend yesterday about uh, Luke Cage, and there's this ridiculous reaction to Luke Cage that like a bunch of black people are having because they're like, it's, it's racist, it's like no black people in it, and it's so stupid. And I, you know, I was talking to my friend, and I was like, I remember when uh, Lena Dunham came out with girls, and she had like that backlash, and I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Lena Dunham, but in that case, I was like, she's writing from her experience. Like, I, that's how she's, you know, experienced the world. I, I, I wouldn't want her to do anything else. My thing was more so about, like, HBO and the fact that, you know, well, then if there's a girl, then, you know, there's, there needs to be a hermanas or, you know, or, or a sister or whatever the hell it, it, it is. Like, there's, there's other worlds that you can, that you can, you can take up. But I think what she brings up is, is really, really sound. Like, you know, um, it's kind of what Matt Damon got in trouble for when she was like, uh, like we don't need to think about diversity, you know, in the crafting of the show. We think about it in the casting. It's like, no, that's a, that's the opposite. Like you need to think about it in the way, you, you know, who 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 are gonna who's gonna be the DP? Who's gonna be uh, the the um, producers? Who's gonna be the writers? Um, if if you surround yourself, the building, the, the people who are building it, if they are diverse, then the, the product that you're gonna have is gonna be diverse. I think. Uh, I totally second third all things that were just said, but to bound, uh, to take it off of also like Luke Cage, like if you watch that show, his uh, landlords are an old Chinese couple who own the restaurant downstairs and they do not have accents at all. Yeah. And I think that there's something really powerful in recognizing that you can write diverse characters and not pigeonhole them in any way and still have them ring true of an experience that is theirs. And I think that being able to have that conversation, finding trusted people of color, queer people, gender queer people, people not by everything, people with disabilities, talking to them and being able to be like, hey, 
I'm writing this. I want to talk to you and I want to be open with you about the fact that I created something that's in your wheelhouse and I don't want it to come across as dot, dot, dot. You know what I mean? I've had those conversations with people. It's weird and tough. I don't represent everyone, you know, and, but I think it's my responsibility to put people in the limelight as well. And I think that also speaks to, you know, like Shonda Rhimes talking about, you know, the character of Christine Yang was supposed to be white when she originally wrote that show. It's the person who was like most like her, or actually wouldn't just be white, I think she was like very open to uh, casting choices. But it's also the person who's most like her. Shonda Rhimes is a black woman and she has a, you know, Asian American person playing herself on screen. That's amazing. That speaks to the power of you can write other people's experiences in a non-judgmental uh, and in a non-offensive uh, way. That's not what I want. That's not what I want. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. Hey, bouncing off of that, when it comes to casting, get rid of who you go for the best person for the job. And I think that on the other side of the camera is even more valuable because they're gonna, everyone's gonna come up because they're like, especially if you don't put white or sexy or 20s or whatever, because if you open up the casting list, then you're gonna get a wealth of, of talent knocking on your door who are hungry to do something. And with that, like even if they don't fit the, the cast that you have, you're like, wait a second, and then that will inspire you to write something else. Can I jump? I know I have Penel, so I'm going to jump in on that. Um, what I really think, and I appreciate what everyone is saying, like it, it's the, it's sort of a ripple effect. So something that I've been talking a lot about is the diversity sort of needs to start in your life first before it can begin in your work. So how like with girls, it say it's like you're saying she's writing for a of all white people, all white women essentially. There's something that needs to be changed there. So you need to engage yourself with diverse bodies, diverse voices, diverse everything, so you can write from a diverse perspective, or just have more perspectives in your own there. Then you can go into the colorblind casting, then you can go into the colorblind hire, and then that's where it builds out, which is what I think everyone here has been doing. It's, you know, I, everyone, if you're black, white, male, female, cis, trans, anything, and you need to put yourself in uncomfortable spaces so everything else you can do can be informed by that. So I think that's, yeah. everyone can answer a good example of that. And I think that, on the other hand, it's also like, I feel like even when you are not a white person, learning and admitting that you can be wrong is like the first step to like greater awareness. Right? I, I don't think any of us are perfect, right? I don't think any well, of us. I am so sorry. <laughs> I had a learning experience. Teachable moment. Anyway, um, but I think uh, to also say something on that, um, Jill Soloway, I don't remember what it was on, but there was an amazing keynote uh, speech she gave, probably like a Gypsy something, where she talked about um, how important it is to write stories of people that aren't you when you are a white creator. Um, so I would look that up. It speaks to a lot of the points you brought up, and also just it's as far as, you know, speaking, like a white person talking to a white person about it is what it is. And so I think that would be something to best talk to Jill Soloway. Okay, I'm gonna look at that. And not to, you know, keep on talking about this, but just in my opinion, it's, it's like, just two things, right? Just like, this writing, this this being open to to uh, other people of uh, doing certain roles that you know are that, that that can be open, and then just trying to write somebody else's experience. And those are two different things in, 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 my, in my mind. I don't think I should be trying to write you know uh, you know a woman the woman experience. I, I don't like how how can I go about that? Doesn't mean I can't write women characters. It's just like do you know, you know what I'm saying? And I think that when you, when you start talking about the history of appropriation and stuff like that, then you really do get into people who, 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 who are saying that, okay, I know, you know, like, like in, in an anthropological way, I brought up Norman, Norman Lear. Good Times is him writing the experience of these black people growing in, a, in, in the projects. I think that's when you get into like a little bit of a more problematic point. But, the, the, the thing you brought up about Shadow Ryan was such a great thing. It's like there's no reason why 
that person had to be anything else but a woman. Mm-hmm. Could have been any any type of woman, right? She could have been green. She's just a woman, right? So. Any other questions? Yeah, um, I'm just curious about to hear your opinions. It's along the same lines of what we've been speaking about, but just like you know, you talked about Lena Dunham got the backlash. Tim Burton recently got the backlash as well, and I don't know. I I feel like I see. I would just like to hear opinions about, like, he's basically saying there's a certain aesthetic that he's going for in his work. And then we talk, you know, you're talking about how um, we want, you know, you're talk, you're going from your experience and, and, and that's your world. And you're saying that's Lisa's world. So I'm, I'm curious to hear when it comes to, like, when it's, when it's a vision in your head. And but then there's also the other side of like, but who's the best person for the the uh, the role? You know what I'm saying? Like, where where's the line drawn? What trumps what? Can I can I step up the plate with this? Oh, one? Okay. Right, cool. Because <laughs> I I've thought about this like. I think I think when, when I look at something like girls, right? I I, I really do look at women that I'm always doing like something that's somewhat biographical. Right, I, I, I look at Hannah as, as, as an extension of her. Tim Burton plays in fantasy, okay? It's the same problem I got with Game of Thrones, right? There's no reason, if we're creating a world, okay, like, you know what I'm saying, we, we, we are not creating this world. There's no reason that this world has to be white and be beyond the fact that you want it that way, right? There, there's, there's no other reason. It, it, it just, it's fictional. You have dragons, right? <laughs> that, that, that are flying around, and, and and for some reason, everybody in this world has to. That's the issue I have with with with, with Tim Burton, right? That that the, the issue there is is he chooses. It's 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 the difference between saying that like okay, uh, in in this story, this story, like if I if I wrote a story about. My family, now my family are Nigerian Americans. That's a fact. That's what they, they are. He's creating a story, and he's choosing to be like, okay, I see. And I think, and I, and I think that stuff is really deep seated. I think it has to do with the way he sees innocence, has to do with the way you see good versus evil, and everything like that. If you, I, I say all the time, like, if, I love Game of Thrones. To like, it, it's like one of my favorite series. But for the life of me, I don't understand why the Dothraki have to be this like savage beast. Right? Like, and, and, and if you look at it from a historical standpoint, this, the, I think this is supposed to be based off the Huns. Well, the Huns and the Royal, the Roses, which is like the Lannisters and, and all that, based off, those are, that's like 500 years apart. So they, they're just deciding to tell this story, to, to, to look at these people, to look at, to look at brown people in a specific savage type of way. You're deciding to do that because you don't want to like, you don't want to take a chance at, 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 at uh, uh, telling the story in a, in, a, in a different type of way, right? So that that's how I see that difference. But if I explain that correctly, I know. I mean, man, I get really. Oh, the other thing that I'll say about that too. One thing, because I, I, I love Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. But this is just another thing. Like, so you take the character Khaleesi, okay? She is, you know, she's supposed to be quote unquote exotic. She's from like she's from a she, she's come from a warm place, right? She's from a desert place, and somehow she's pale as hell and got blonde hair. Who have you ever seen that come from some, some a place like that? Who, who, who looks like that? They're huge. They're specific. Choosing to make that person white. Well, that's like with um oh gosh Jennifer Lawrence and the Hunger Games series because. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was supposed to be Native American, and they, you know, they told her to dye her hair. I'm going to speak to it from a little bit calmer, but I totally understand. I totally get it, but you also had fucking timber. So I think when a, I think when creators are able to explain their point of view with beautiful language, such as aesthetic, it speaks to their privilege, and. He has been doing this for 30, 37 years. Um, and, you know, it's 
when you can get a check to make Alice in Wonderland from Disney, where you can do Beetlejuice, where you can do Batman, you know, it's when you get that money and you get that trust and you can actually say, well, this is my aesthetic, this is how I've been making my millions of dollars and living with all the bottom Carter and Camilla and all that great stuff and not getting married and having kids, you know, no judgments there. But, you know, it's, it's like, because this is the life that I'm accustomed to and because I have been paid to filter that life and that ideal to an audience for decades, why the hell should I change my aesthetic now because there's probably another in my pocket? So it really comes from this whole thing of, God, I can't wait till I'm in these rooms. You know, like, right, doing this web series, I'm kind of like, do I want to be an actor or do I want to be shot up 2.0? Um, it's, it's really this, this place of, man, we'll talk. You know, it's, 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 it's just, I want to be afforded that privilege as well. And, sh and and once I have that, to just, it's just so unfortunate that, you know, the whole binary of racism is what it is, that it was created for ridiculous reasons, and we'll probably never understand why until the end of times when, you know, God's like, oh, you know, I was, you know, Tower of Babel happened, and then you guys started moving around, and it was continents, and then we got this, and I'm just like, oh, I'll just let you go, free will, let's see what happens. You know, I really, I can't wait to have those conversations with him. <laughs> 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 so great, that was the thing. Um, but it, it's just this whole thing of when you have access to a boardroom that's like, we got, we got uh, 40, 40 mil, here's what you want to do with it. And then you see Ava DuVernay, Ava DuVernay, who's getting that same check, doing Wrinkle in Time. And I follow her on Instagram, and she's just like inclusionary. She's not even going for diverse. She's like inclusion in my crew. She's going everywhere. She, the lead character's gonna be a beautiful young black girl. How awesome is that, right? It's like she has now been afforded that privilege, and she's starting to change the aesthetic. And that's what I want to do, and that's what I applaud her for. And. I'm not gonna say shame on Tim Burton because he's a white man and he's a white man in America who's been making millions of dollars for decades. And honestly, it's kind of like it's like Donald Trump. It's like except it's not because <laughs> except it's not because Donald doesn't own who he is. He keeps he he leaves an ellipsis for us to fill in after. Whereas Tim is saying this is me. Deal. You know. I would like to say something. First of all, hilarious I was at the LGBT uh, panel earlier today, and the big allegory somebody used was Game of Thrones in that one as well. Uh, so I think there's lots to say about that, um, uh, which I will not go into uh, because the show is long enough and speaks for itself. Um, but uh, one of the funny things that I found really interesting about the Tim Burton stuff when I was reading one of his things was how he felt like uh, he never wanted to, he, he was seeing tokenism in uh, casting people of color in his youth when he was growing up or whatever he says, I'm paraphrasing broadly. Um, and what's funny to me about that is he said more or less that he didn't want to offend. And so by that, right, he's going to just cast white people, which I think is speaking to the creative process in a very direct way, which actually is, we are all being brave and following our fear and putting ourselves out there and risking failure. He has failed. He he should be hearing it and recognizing that this is a chance to move on. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that is a good thing. I think it speaks to what you were talking about earlier, asking about you know what can white creators do. Not that I need to tell them what to do or that this should all be about that, but it's sort of the idea that um, we all need to be brave about what we're making and our own biases and moving on to pass them, working through them. I like what everyone is saying. I think going, sort of taking a note from what they're saying and how you mentioned in your question from the very, like not to mention all this, to be aware of, like where do you draw the line between casting uh, and all diverse or black cast versus an all white cast. And it's like, it's, sort of a blessing and a curse that it's not the minority's responsibility to add our voices to the white narrative. 
it's sort of they have to take that responsibility on themselves. So they're what by casting on white cash, we're putting a lid on diversity, and we're trying to squeeze it all into one space. So it's almost like a funnel effect, I feel like. And then go on. And, and with with so with shows, if you if, if you watch uh, if you take a show like Rome, right? Yeah. Uh, HBO. So everybody in Rome speaks with a British accent. What's the problem with that? <laughs> it's in Rome, right? So, so, so there, there, there is a way the idea that we cannot imagine, you know, uh, a, a, a place differently. Um, it's just, it's just that, that, that fall, it, it, To me, that that whole argument just falls apart. You know, that's just yeah. piggybacking off what you were saying. Well, I just think it speaks to like little systematic ways that oppressor culture like leads into the social thought. In our country, right? We think British as proper, and we hear that voice, and we automatically think better than, smarter, more socially aware. And um, as much as we shrug it off, we can't always. And I think that's what's so important about British diversity. I think wouldn't it be great if we had something like Rome, and it wasn't Italian accents either, but we fill in the blanks with other people and cast people, cast people who have strong accents in English and are not Italian, you know what I mean? Uh, I just think that would be more interesting and more, um, uh, it would speak greater lead. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just gonna like put a little lid on that. <laughs> so, or, Is there one more question? I think we're running low on time. I, I, I yeah. have a question. Well, first of all, I, I want to say this about that, about the Victorian thing, about how it's amazing I echo that, that that fantasy worlds all of a sudden look like they look like Victorian England. Yeah. For whatever for for lots of reasons that we all know. And also when you were talking about meeting God, um, in my head you look like Tim Burton. <laughs> and I have to erase it. It God doesn't look like Tim Burton. You know, and there it is. That's the problem. But uh, my question is when you guys are creating and and when you're thinking about the audience that you're appealing to and when you think about getting more money for your projects and when you think about working for NBC and when you think about doing a Netflix series where there's money, producers, and backers and dealing with these forces I'm wondering if you experience this age if, if you think that any authenticity has been sacrificed on the altar of money when you see these new series coming out. And how you plan to approach that, because you're all going to be in those rooms. Well, my friend uh, just got, in, got a full ride to NYU TV writing program and is doing great there. Barely see her because she's always in school now, she got a job, she can keep her job up. Um, and I think we talk a lot about how uh, we both watch all the Rachel Commission and both so upset about so much of what's on there because we love Tina Fey so much and we just wish better for her at that show um, in terms of uh, the blatant racism that is on it. Uh, and there's this weird thing that is put into that world of Oh, well, we have two native uh, writers, so it's okay that we're writing these storylines. I don't think that it is. I think that I hope that if I ever am in those sorts of rooms, I hold it accountable for that because that's bullshit on a very deep level. You know, I think there's brilliant ways that you can rectify an already living show for the bullshit that is put out there. I think there are storylines that, that, say, a ritual commissionment could create that would salvage what is there. And I already have the ideas, and Tina Fey, if you're listening, please call me, and I'm happy to write the future show. But um, it's funny because my friend, who I'll keep nameless because she would be very embarrassed if I said that she said this as another person of color writer. Um, she also told me that uh, if she got hired by Tina Fey, okay, we're writing, we're writing your show. I'm helping you. And so I think that's interesting because I think there is that other recognition of until you have that Tim Burton money, until you have that age of name money, which is probably very different, but different gets what every they get. Um, you can't do anything about it. 
acceptable weeds. So I think that it's important that we keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. To, to, to borrow from my favorite uh, folk artist, uh, the, the times they are changing. They are. I think that, I think, uh, and, and, you know, the, the baby boomer generation getting older, and of course, I'm not saying that there, there isn't, you know, a lot of corporate pressure that, that tries to change stuff. But I think, I think people just are, 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 are asking for different things. They're asking for different things politically, they're asking for different things in the entertainment, culturally. So, you know, I, I, I think you're probably going to start seeing more doing stuff. We already are. So. Awesome. I think we have to cut her off. It's really quick. It's super quick. I'm an idealist, and if they want me in the room, they know what I stand for, so they're going to have to expect that. Love it. Well, thank you all. CreatorCast is presented by Brooklyn Web Fest. Brooklyn Web Fest is an annual web series festival and online creator conference. Our goal is to highlight the best narrative storytellers online today and allow content creators and industry professionals an opportunity to share knowledge and create professional connections. Along with web series selection screenings, Brooklyn Web Fest provides opportunities to meet and connect through a series of panels and educational workshops. This year, Brooklyn Web Fest Season 2 was a rousing success with creators from all across the web series space coming together to share their work and connect with other creators. Our first guest of the Diversus Fox Live Creator Panel was Stephen Hajar, the creator of the web series Affordable NYC. If you'd like to watch the entire series start to finish, it is available under Stephen Hajar on Vimeo. You can also reach out to Stephen through stephenhajar at gmail.com. Our second guest was Alex Ubogadum the creator, producer, and writer for Bach TV Smart Comedy for Dad Ass. To watch the series, you can find it on Bach TV on YouTube. And to stay connected to Alex's series on social media, you can find it on Facebook or reach out to We Are Bach TV on Twitter. And our third lovely panelist was Melissa Mickens, the creator, writer, and producer for the web series Champagne. You can find the entirety of Melissa's series on her Melissa Mickens YouTube channel. And to reach out to Melissa and her series, check out Rock Solid Mel and Champagne News on Twitter and Champagne on Facebook. Lastly, our moderator for the Diverse as Fuck live creator panel was Mariah Smith. You can find out more about Diverse as Fuck at DAFNYC.com, DAF Comedy Fest on Twitter, DAF Fest NYC on Instagram, and through DAF Fest on Facebook. All music for CreatorCast is used under fair use and copyright. Today's selection was Miami Call by Hair Doctor. You can find more of Hair Doctor's songs at freemusicarchive.org. CreatorCast was created by Kit Williamson and Amanda Dequila. Production and post-production for CreatorCast was supervised by Brian C. Capon. Hi everyone, this is Brian, the end credits voice and post-producer for the podcast. From all of us here at CreatorCast, we'd like to thank you all for listening. Unfortunately, with Brooklyn Web Fest being done for the year, I am sad to say that CreatorCast will also be taking a hiatus. But not to worry, we are all planning on starting up another limited run of CreatorCast for Brooklyn Web Fest Season 3 next year. We hope to find you listening once again, and we hope to see you next year at the festival.